Good to see you guys here tonight. Well, open your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. We do have some Bibles on the table there if you need one. You know, the Sermon on the Mount is a well-known sermon. And most people, when they think of the Sermon on the Mount, they, they think of this just kind of positive and just comforting message. Uh, you know, as we started off in verse 3, we talked to how it, it starts with this blessing. But it moves from this comforting place to a very hard place. Not harsh, but hard. And, and there's a difference. Hard because it challenges us beyond our abilities, but not harsh because it pushes us back to the very beginning. And so we're going to start again at verse 3, just so that we can set the context that we're going to be looking at tonight, because if we don't remember the context, everything comes across as very harsh, as very prying, as very invasive. But we need to remember where Jesus starts because where he starts is actually where he is pushing us to. In verse 3 it says, Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Lord, we pray tonight as we continue looking at your words that you would enlighten our eyes, give understanding to our minds, and touch our hearts. May we be not hard-hearted. May we be sensitive and pliable to what you would say to us. Lord, it's so easy to enjoy the things of blessing, but when it comes to the things of conviction or challenge or correction, we can resist. And I pray that we wouldn't. I pray that we would be open to all that you have for us here tonight. And our lives would be better because of it. Give us ears to hear, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we start at verse 27. And you'll see why I started at verse 3 before I jumped into verse 27. <laughs> Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Oh boy. Sex has historically been an issue for mankind. From the Greeks to the Romans to this present day, there has not been a time in history 
where society has not been marred in some way by man's sexual appetite. There has not been a time in society where men have not used woman, women for their sexual pleasure, have made them basically objects. There has not been a time where women have not used sexuality to use it as some form of control. Because it is a drive that man has, it has been used and, and used in a manipulative way and in a controlling way and has tainted every society. And it's as true for our time now as it was when Jesus was speaking. And so it's only, it only makes sense that Jesus would talk about it. We don't like to. I'd rather go back to verse 3, and let's just do that all over again, than have to deal with this area of sexuality, of lust, and also of adultery that we're going to be talking about, and divorce. Because these are hard, difficult topics to embrace. And, and once again, we, we hear these things that Jesus says, and we have to ask, who are you to be able to tell us this. Remember last week we spoke about Jesus is claiming to have an authority that is more than that of the authority of the Pharisees at the time and actually one that gives deeper understanding to the scripture that they are quoting. And he's doing the same thing here. He says you shall not commit adultery. He's talking about the law. He's talking about the things that they have heard, the things that they are aware of, the things in Exodus, the, the commandments that God gave to Moses. You've heard that. And I think most people would say, yeah, adultery is a bad thing. No one who has experienced adultery or knows someone who has gone through an adulterous relationship can say, yeah, you know what, that was a good thing. Some good things came out of that adulterous relationship. It's never the case. And so everyone could say, yeah, adultery is a bad thing. You, you have a promise to one person to, to be committed to that one person, and then you take that promise and you think nothing of it and you get involved with someone else while you're still involved with one person. Is that good? Does anyone think, oh yeah, you know, that's fine. No, it's always hurtful. It always causes destruction. It always tears people apart. And so we can say, yeah, adultery is bad. Exodus was right. Adultery is a bad thing. You shouldn't commit adultery. And Jesus pushes even deeper. He says, this is what I'm telling you. If anyone looks lustfully at a woman, he's committed adultery with her in his heart. Where do you go with that? Is this even possible? Is this something that we can take and say, okay, yeah, I buy that. Or does it push us to a place that makes us say, whoa, wait a second. If that's the case, is there any guy 
that has not done this in their heart? I'm not going to have anyone raise their hands here because that would be an embarrassing situation and you guys might lie if you're with your wife or a girlfriend or something. I'm not going to admit that. But where do we go with this? Because Jesus is saying that he has the authority to define sexual purity in his kingdom. He says he has the authority to tell us, this is what sexual purity looks like in my kingdom. And with that, he, he takes us back to this time where he says, I tell you, he is establishing his boundaries as I'm the one who is created, I'm the one who is designed, I am the author and the protector of marriage. Because understand when he's talking about adultery and he's talking about lust, he is right here in this context talking about a marriage relationship. Yeah, it pushes to beyond marriage or before marriage, you might say. But what he's really trying to do is protect this understanding of what marriage is, what is the, the union of a man and a woman. He's trying to safeguard what that is. And he says that he has the authority in his kingdom to define what purity is, and here is how he defines it. If you look at a woman and you have a lustful thought where you want her, desire her in a sexual way, then you have committed adultery in your heart. Understand, it's not the same thing as adultery itself. It's not the act, but what it is, is it's the beginning of the act. It is the root that has taken place in your heart. Remember when we spoke about anger, how anger starts as this small little fire that's just smoldering. But then as it just kind of rehearses itself in your mind, it starts to kindle and it starts to, you start to throw things on top of it or pretty soon it actually becomes a fire. Well, the same idea is here with this of lust. It starts off as a seed, but it grows into a tree. And so Jesus is saying, hey, if it's there in your heart, that's where the problem is. And so he condemns the lustful looking as a serious issue. Well, everyone does it. I mean, come on, what am I supposed to do when the Victoria's Secret commercial comes on? I mean, hey, it's right there. You know, every guy does that. Every guy sees that or whatever it might be when you see something that's provocative, something that's enticing. What am I supposed to do? I'm just a guy. I'm, you know, I'm human. That's how it is. Well, Jesus says that this is a serious issue. In fact, it is so serious that he goes on to give us an idea of how do we deal with this then? How, how do I deal with the fact that if I even look at a woman and have this lust after her, what am I supposed to do? Well, he gives us a simple solution. <laughs> if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. There you go. <laughs> what on earth is he talking about? Well, we're, we know he's not talking about a literal gouging your eye out because you can lust as easy with your left eye as you can your right. You can sin as easier with your left hand and your right hand. But what he is talking about is taking the issue serious and dealing with it quickly. 
dealing with it severely. If you take it lightly, that seed is going to grow and it is going to turn into something that you will have to deal with. Now, dealing with this and understanding that Jesus is saying we need to have a behavioral boundary. Marriage and the relationship between a, a man and a, a woman and the husband and wife relationship has to have boundaries that protect it. There has to be guidelines that we understand and we don't cross if we want a marriage that is going to be healthy, if we want to keep the seed from becoming a tree and destroying our relationship. And you see, what Jesus is trying to do is protect what it is to love, what it is to truly care about someone. And it's so easy for us to be driven by our appetites, whether it's sexual or any other, that that becomes what we go after regardless. And so now you're in a relationship, you're committed to someone, you said, I do. You are the man I'm going to live with for the rest of my life. You are the woman who I have chosen and there is no one else. I have left father and mother and have cleaved to my wife. We have become one. There is a seriousness involved here. This is not, hey, what are you doing? Hey, you want to get together? Yeah, I like you. You like me? Yeah, okay. Let's make something of it. See if it works out or not. Let's commit to each other. Let's involve each other and be involved with each other in all these intimate ways and see if it works out. And if it doesn't, oh, well, if it does, hey, great. You know, that's good. No, there is supposed to be a seriousness about this because Jesus is saying that you are created in my image. Your heart, your life matters to me. I am the one who has created you. I have created you for this relationship and I've created this relationship to be special, to be unique, to be wonderful. And for it to be this, you have to have boundaries. Otherwise, it will be destroyed by your appetite. And today you love someone, and today you're committed, but tomorrow your eye wanders and you look, and now you love someone else. And it happens all the time. It happens in Christian homes as well as non-Christian homes. It happens to people who've been married for 20 years as well as people who've been married for two months. People who've said, I'm committed to you, and then their vows have been denounced, recounted just because of what they've seen. And what happens is when you lust after something, when you desire that, you are looking for something to fulfill or quench an appetite. You're saying, this person who I am now looking at, you know, I think they could make me happy. I think I could find something there that I don't have already. And so I'm going to pursue that because I think that is really what's going to make me happy. And, and it might be a person... It might be a website. It's something that you desire to, to bring some kind of satisfaction and fulfillment. And what you are doing 
when you go to that place to try and satisfy this sexual appetite is you are laying an axe at the relationship that you have, the commitment that you've made, the promise that is there. And you cannot think that, well, it's just in my head, it doesn't make a difference. Jesus is saying, it sure does. Ask your wife if it makes a difference if you look at pornography or not. It sure does. It sure does. You can't think it's no big deal. Jesus is saying, it is. It's a very big deal. In fact, you need to deal with it seriously. If your eyes offending you, get rid of it. Gouge it out. Because it would be better for you to be lame and limping into heaven than leaping into hell. That's how serious he places it. Now, that is so contrary to society today. Obvious. Look at TV. Look at, you know, the websites. I forget what they said. One out of every four clicks on the Internet goes to a porn site. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Why? What is, what is it about it that there has to continually be more and more and more? You see, it, it, it's not about, well, I'm just interested in this. It's an appetite. It, it's basically like consuming. And it doesn't have an end. It doesn't satisfy. You can never consume enough because it, it doesn't fulfill. It doesn't satisfy. And it leaves you empty but wanting more. And so it keeps you strung along. It's that proverbial carrot in front of the, the horse's nose that just keeps going after it, going after it, but never gets to actually eat it. The same thing is here. It doesn't satisfy you. It doesn't satisfy the relationship. And so Jesus is trying to protect marriage here. He's elevating lust to adultery. Look lustfully is like anger. It begins with that little seed, but it will grow into something that's devastating. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Our desire is to be aware of the spiritual warfare that we're in, because that's the context that Paul is talking about, to realize that everything is spiritual. That your relationship with your wife, or wife-to-be, I know some of you aren't married here, the whole idea is to understand that this is not just a physical thing, this is a spiritual thing. And if you develop bad habits while you're single, those bad habits will carry into your marriage. It'll move along. It doesn't just go away. Oh, I'm married now, so I don't look at porn anymore. I'm married now. I don't lust after girls anymore because I'm married now. It doesn't work like that. It's a heart issue. And so it's something that we have to look at and, and take that 
in our heart. We have to deal with it decisively, seriously, quickly. Job 31, verse 1 says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. I love that. Not to look lustfully at a young woman. I've made a covenant. I've made this agreement that I'm not going to go there. You know, if you, and I guess, you know, I'm dealing with guys right now, but I guess there would be a counterpart too. I mean, it definitely can be applicable to women as well, lusting after guys, but it can also be applicable in a woman wanting to be lusted after. If a woman wants to, to dress in a way that causes men to lust after her, that could be something that also would be a part of this. In other words, I'm, I'm finding myself, I feel better if I can get a guy to look at me in that way. And what Jesus is trying to do is get us to an understanding of it's a heart issue. If you see, guys, a, a woman who's good looking, dressed provocatively, if it comes on the TV screen, you know, what can you do? You, you can't live blind. You can't, you can, yeah, turn the channel if you can find the remote control if it happens to be there. And if your wife is there, you better find it quick, you know. <laughs> but, you know, there's one thing to see a bird fly over your head. It's another thing to let it build a nest into your head. Okay, it's one thing to see something, okay, I need to to decisively, quickly turn away. I just need to not engage in that. And it's another thing to say, oh, I think I'm going to record that for later. There's an intention. It's one thing to be caught, see something, and then deal with it. It's another thing to dwell on it. And the idea of looking lustfully has the idea of longing. And... This is driving us back to the beginning of his sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what is right. You see, Jesus is bringing us to a place, do you realize how much help you really need? Do you realize it? And what he is trying to establish here is, again, a protection for what he thinks is very, very important, and that's the marriage relationship, which we go into now in verse 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Wow. Again, very harsh. Now, there were two trains of thought that were taking place in Jesus' times. There were two rabbis, Hillel and Shemaiah. They were... Rabbis that were just very, uh, they were the monsters of the day. These two schools of thought, schools and rabbinical training. Hillel was more on a conservative side. He said that if you were married, the only reason you could get divorced was by sexual unfaithfulness. Where Shemaiah was more of, no, it's for any reason, and, and what they did is they dealt with this 
back in Deuteronomy. But we're going to go to Matthew chapter 19 because this comes up again in Jesus' ministry. In, in chapter 19 of Matthew, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they will no longer, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, Jesus isn't taking sides saying, I am siding with Hillel. I'm not siding with Shemaiah. He's actually pushing this even further still. You know, the debate was in Deuteronomy 24, it says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her. That phrasing, find something indecent about her, literally means sees some nakedness in that. What does that mean? And that was the debate. Hillel said, sees some nakedness in that, says it's a sexual unfaithfulness. Shemaiah said, sees some nakedness in that, means he finds something absent in that. She burns his toast, he can get a divorce. Literally. And you're dealing at a time when a woman's rights were nil. So when Moses writes this idea of divorcement in Deuteronomy, what he's actually doing is giving a woman a place that says, you are not belittled, you have rights. A writing of divorcement shows that you are still legitimate, as opposed to, I'm just going to get rid of you. A woman has what way of making a living if she's divorced? If she gets kicked out of the house, well, how is she going to make a living? Well, the majority of them, if they had to make a living, would do it through prostitution. What source of income do they have other than that? And so the idea of divorcing and writing a divorcement was to try and give her some settlement. In other words, you can't just make this easy, otherwise she's going to be left and be devastated. And so these thoughts come up. Well, what did Moses mean by find some nakedness in that? What is, what is that referring to? Well, it means if he finds anything wrong. She didn't make my bed this morning. She didn't iron the clothes. She burnt the eggs. You know, she didn't make them over easy. She made them over medium. She put too much pepper in it. You know, whatever it is, you could find all these things. I found a reason that she is deficient. She is neglecting. So I'm going to write her divorce. Hillel said, no, it's only sexual unfaithfulness. Jesus says, it's not only on sexual unfaithfulness, but if you divorce a woman and someone else marries her, you're causing that person to commit adultery as well. You're responsible for that. 
And so it pushes this to, again, a more serious issue. And what, what Jesus does is they say, well, the law says in Deuteronomy, this is, you have to give a writing for divorcement. And Jesus says, before the law was given, God said this. God said that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall be one flesh. They will be one. And Jesus goes on and he adds, what God has joined together, let no man separate. There is supposed to be something so unique, so precious, so special about marriage that it is God-designed, God-ordained, and God-strengthened. That the marriage relationship is supposed to be one that is not only a satisfaction for the physical appetites that a man and woman might have, but it is supposed to be something that satisfies the soul of a human being when they find a wife, when they find a husband. This isn't you're stuck and you've got to be married to that person. Sorry, that's how it is, Charlie. Make the best of it. This is supposed to be God has done something here that is magnificent, that is incredible. And if you see God's hand, if you understand that this is the work of God himself, and submit yourself to his work, then he is able to do something miraculous. And in fact, Paul says in Ephesians, I show you a mystery. When I'm talking about the husband and his wife, I'm also talking about Jesus and the church. There are similarities. There is this synonymous work because it is something that is divine. People should see a marriage and be able to see evidence of God's creation in that marriage. That it is something so beautiful that it causes and draws people to see the goodness of God. That's what it's supposed to be. Now, is that what we want? Or do we want less? Jesus is saying marriage is created by God, designed by God, made by God for a man and a woman. It is precious. Do we want that or do we want less? Who do we want to be right here? Jesus' idea of what it is to be a husband and wife, what it is to be married, or our idea of what it means to be a couple? What do we want? Well, I'd like it to be easy, but to be precious. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. There is something in the design of God and in what he has designed in us as human beings that takes place in a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. This isn't just, hey, you and I get along, let's make something happen. This is saying, I am yours for the rest of my life. You are mine for the rest of your life. We are going to make our lives work. 
by the grace of God. And it will take the grace of God. And something happens when two people are committed not only to each other, but to the covenant maker, which is God. And he does something in their life together. You know, as I was going through this, I was thinking about Corrine and I, and we've been married for 27 years now, I believe. And I'm not saying that so everyone goes, yay. Um, but in that 27 years, there's been some great times, and there's been some hellish times. There have been times where um, the only thing that held us together was the promise that we made to God. Because things were just difficult. Things were hard. And thankfully, that covenant that we made before God and before men and to each other was strong enough for us to say, okay, we need to make this happen. We need to make this work. That we pushed through, we pushed past, and we were able to break through and see something glorious take place. I love being with my wife. She's my friend. I really like her. She ticks me off sometimes. I tick her off a lot of times. We spat back and forth, but she's my friend. I, I have a companion. I have someone who I want to go home to. I have someone who I want to spend the next 27 years or however many years I have left with. I have someone who I've invested in and who's invested in me. Someone who I'm willing to argue with and argue through and not just ignore the problems that come up. I have someone who I respect. I have a relationship that has developed because there was a commitment. Not only to each other, but to the God who designed this marriage. And you see, what we come to here is to understand that Jesus is saying, I'm the one who made you. I'm telling you how I made you, why I made you. This is what it's supposed to be. Why? Because that's how I designed it. And we have to ask ourselves, are we going to listen to Jesus or are we going to do our own thing? Oh, yeah, it was nice when Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, man, that's, that's so comforting. But when he says, you know, you got to be married. You can't get a divorce. Come on, Jesus. You're, you're being pushy now. You're being invasive. You're telling me how to live my life. This is, you know, the 20th century. I know how to live my life. Butt out. This is archaic. This is a religious, you know, kind of thing. This isn't how it works in today's society. But Jesus is saying, I'm the one who designed marriage. This is how I designed it. It doesn't work if it's not like this just doesn't. And if you make it less, you are poisoning the beauty that I created because I designed you to be one flesh. I'm the one who puts you together. 
and what I glue together, don't let man separate. There's a security in that. There's a beauty in that. There's a, a growth that takes place only by commitment. I don't know how else to explain it. It, it takes place in other aspects too. Relationship with parents and children. How many of you have known parents who have not been committed to their children? And what happens to those kids? What happens to that relationship with the parents? How many parents are committed to their children, responsible for their children? It's a beautiful thing. It's a hard thing. What happens when the kids are, are idiots and they get in trouble and they, you know, those kinds of things, you know? <laughs> Did you call them an idiot? You're in danger of hellfire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you're committed you push through and you push deep you get to a seriousness and a growth that is becomes more stable and that's where Jesus is pushing us you see he's the creator this isn't just a legal relationship this isn't just a writing on paper it's a sacred covenant that God has designed. Together you bear the image of God. That's why Paul calls it a mystery. Together something unique happens. And Jesus sanctifies marriage. He, he's the one who puts it together. What God has put together, let no one separate. He, he gives it a protective permanence. He takes this out of the category of obligation and puts it into a category of completion. You're not obligated to each other. You are completed by each other. There's a big difference. And this is God's design. Man's design, you're obligated to each other. You have to stay together no matter what. God's design, you complete each other as you are connected to one another and connected to me. You see, what happens with us is we put God out of the picture and you've got this man and you've got this woman and you say, you guys got to make it work. And they have struggles and they have fights and I'm obligated because we're married. I have to stay married because of the kids. We have to do these things. And God is not in the picture at all. You see, but what God is wanting to do is shape your heart through that relationship, shape her heart through that relationship, mold and make you into better human beings because of the relationship you have with one another. And it is difficult. It is a hard thing. No one who's been married for any length of time says, oh, we've never had any problems. It's all been hunky-dory. They say hunky-dory anymore. It's all been, you know, just smooth sailing. It's, no, you're going to go through it. And it's going to challenge you, and it's going to test you, and it's going to stretch you, and it's going to bend you into ways that you thought you could not endure or you would break, and then you're going to come out shining like gold. Because you found out that James was right when he says, count it all joy when you go into different trials, because it produces perseverance. It gets you stronger. It develops you. I need my wife now more than I've ever needed her before. 
Oh, I was in love with her when we first met, man. Whew, I was on cloud nine when we'd go out and I'd see her and we'd go out somewhere. I, I couldn't wait to see her. I'd be on the phone all night with her talking, you know, and we'd fall asleep kind of on the phone. Stupid things like that, you know, if you're doing that, enjoy. Um, and it was all this silly puppy love, you know, kind of an attitude. And, and oh, it was as real as it could get. It was nothing compared to what I have now. Nothing. It was a shadow of what we have now. There is such reality in our relationship that when I look back to that and how elated I was at that time, it was great, it was wonderful, but the depth of relationship that has come through time, through hurt, through commitment, cannot be compared. It's just how it is. And it's how it is on purpose, by design. By design. This is how God's designed it to work. God, why couldn't you just make it easy? Why couldn't you just make us have that puppy love all the time? Have you ever seen someone in that puppy love? It gets sickening after a while. It's all sugary and, uh, you know, grow up, stop. Oh, no, you hang up first. No, you do, yeah. Ah, stop it, I'll hang up there, you know, just. You can't live like that. Life isn't like that. You see, there's going to be loss of job. See, there's going to be sickness. There is going to be hurt. Because we live in a world that's fallen. And what's going to carry you through that isn't, oh, I love you. No, I love you. What's going to carry you through that is you and me are committed to God and to each other. That's the promise that he's given us that we cling on to. And that's what holds you through those times. He sanctifies marriage. He takes this again from being an obligation to being a completion. And he offers hope for marriage. I don't want to leave you guys with just, oh man, I'm stuck. Those of you who are married. And those of you who aren't married yet, you need to see the seriousness of marriage, but you also need to see that it's not without blessing. It's not without hope. It's not just, man, you're stuck, you're committed. It's This is what completes you. And again, he pushes us back to the beginning. Blessed are the merciful, because they're going to receive mercy. You have to be merciful if you're going to be married. Amen? Someone's, someone's saying, yes, I, I admit, I've received mercy. Thank goodness. Blessed are the peacekeepers, the peacemakers. One of you is going to have to make peace. Some point or another, one of you has to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. This is, again, part of what he's designed us to be. And this goes back into, you know, he's not trying to tell us how how strict God is. He's not trying to set out, this is what has to happen if you're going to live the right life. What he's doing is he's pushing us to a place that, you know what, I cannot do this without God's help. And I need to say this because this scripture has been used to beat people over the head. Someone who has been divorced, well, if you've been divorced and then you remarry, then, um, you know, 
you're committing adultery if you get married again. I know that there are people who have heard this who have been in this situation. Well, let me just remind you, if you get angry with someone, you're going to hell. Right? See what I'm saying? This is in the same context. You get angry with someone, you call them a fool, you're going to hell. You look at a woman, lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. You get divorced, you remarry, you've committed adultery. You, you see what's taking place? He's not saying, this is what's going to happen, this is how it is. What he's trying to do is give you an idea of how beautiful and how important marriage is. Not that if you get divorced and you get remarried, you're committing adultery. That wasn't the point. The point was to bring sanctification to what marriage is. The point is to show you how important and how detrimental lust can be. The point was to show you that anger starts something small, but it is a big deal in the heart. And so we need to take these things in context because everyone is real easy on the, oh, you get angry. Yeah, that's a bad thing. Oh, yeah, we all get angry. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, you got divorced? Okay, well, hey, now we're going to get serious. What happened to the anger part? Weren't you serious with the angry? Well, yeah, but take it in the context. And this isn't a scripture to use to beat people over the head with who have been divorced. There's a lot that goes into these things. You don't jump into that conversation lightly. There's a lot of particulars. Paul gives reasons why divorce is okay outside of just the sexual unfaithfulness. He talks about the unbeliever if they leave. What happens if someone's abusive? Is it okay for them to be abusive? Well, you know, I'm still sexually faithful to you even though I beat you. Is that okay? There's a lot involved. And so this isn't the little passage that you can use to give you the, the thumbs up or thumbs down on what divorce is. This isn't what it's for. What this is for is to give us the heart of God concerning marriage. Just like it is telling us how to deal with lust, just as it's telling us how to deal with anger. You have to put it all in these context. And so it's not saying... Anyone who gets a divorce and remarries is committing adultery. That wasn't the intention of this, just like it's not anyone who gets mad is going to hell. That's not what the case is. What this is doing is pushing us back to blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. This is pushing us back to dependency on God. That's the intention not to draw up lines of how you counsel a person who gets divorced. And so I think it's important to, to outline it this way because we can get really legalistic when it comes to this area of divorce and for some reason we're not the same legalistic people when it comes to the lust or the anger or it comes to the oaths or the eye for the eye or the love your enemies part that's coming later. Um, Jesus also protects marriage by giving us an understanding of what it is. And his intention here is to do that. His intention is to tell us that he is the creator of the marriage, he is the sanctifier of marriage, he offers hope for marriage, and he will protect marriage. And marriages need protection. 
How, do we, how does he protect marriage? He guards us against lust. He shows us the importance that this was his design, that he's involved with it, he sanctifies it, he gives us hope in it, and that's how he gives us a protection for marriage. Because marriages need protection. Relationships like this need protection. So this is how he deals with these areas of adultery and divorce.